This morning I'm going to begin in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And while you're turning there, just a, a thought about a message I sent out from some of you from uh, Newsweek magazine. It was uh, something we talked about a little bit in the men's meeting about the technology concerning the computer chip implant. If you didn't receive it, I can send it to you. Talk to me afterwards. It's from Newsweek magazine, a popular magazine in this country. And it talks about, in Europe, for a little over $200, you can have a microchip implanted under your skin uh, between your forefinger and your thumb that will eliminate the need for credit card, debit card, uh, your keys to your car, the, the garage door opener, your house keys, you don't need them anymore because of if you have this implant that can be planted in your, under your skin, in your hand. And it only takes a short period of time to have it implanted. And many people are having it done in Europe. It's not available in this country yet. But the reason why it's important to us who are Christians is because of what it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 13. We know that we live in the age of Antichrist and that we live in the time before Jesus' return. And there are signs of His coming. And this too is a sign of His coming. Jesus said, when you begin to see these signs come to pass... Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. In the book of Revelation, chapter 13, it says that when the beast, the Antichrist, is revealed, he will cause all, small and great, rich and poor, to receive a mark in their hand. King James accurately translates it in the hand or in the forehead and that you may not buy or sell without this mark and you must worship this image of the Antichrist before you can get this implant and 2,000 years ago the Apostle John called it a system of buying and selling throughout the world by which no one can buy or sell without this mark in the hand or in the forehead. The technology for Revelation 13 is now here. And it's not only the technology is here, but it's being sold. This technology is being sold. Now this what they're describing uh, in this article is not the mark of the beast. But it is the technology that is, will be used for that particular implant that no one can receive this mark without worshiping the Antichrist. 
who is indwelled by Satan, as we read in the book of Revelation. But it's a sign to us, and a wake-up call to us. There is technology with these implanted chips that you can give, that's been used for a while now, to put in your pet. If your pet runs away, you can track them down, your cat, your dog. So this has been around for a while. Certain corporations are now offering that to their employees so that instead of getting paid with a paycheck or having being sent to the bank, or you can just have it through a computer implant, and also that you don't need to carry a security card to get into these big factories. It's it just, you know, that implant in your hand or your forehead. And it's voluntary for these companies. But it's telling us something that God knew all along. That in the time of the end, there would be a system of identification and buying and selling by which would be used throughout the whole world to a mark in the hand and the forehead, or the forehead. It is a sign that the fig tree is putting forth its leaves. There is also the technology, and many of us have talked about it, concerning Neuralink, developed by Elon Musk and his company out in California, and the technology to uh, control body systems for good on the surface, it seems very positive and good for handicapped people, for uh, people with both mental and physical illnesses, to help them out. And on the surface, you know, it seems well and good. The problem with the, the Neuralink and, and think technology like this is it can control other brain systems too, including your ability to think. It can alter your ability to think, and that's been declared there are globalists who are promoting this to be able to control society through this Neuralink. And there's all kinds of scrambling with this new technology. The Christian must take note of this and to understand the dangers involved, have our eyes open to the dangers involved with this technology. The good can lubricate the way for the bad, so to speak. The hidden agenda. There's a, you know, is there examples of this in technology? Sure. Uh, we have, all have cell phones, and the cell phones have so much great stuff that can be done with it. You know, it's, an, it's a great tool. But the problem that we now find out is that they can track you with that. They can track everything that you're, you know, doing and, and looking onto and, you know, who you're communicating with and so many things. It's a complete and total invasion of privacy that, that has been uh, brought into our lives. What does it all say? The fig tree is putting forth its leaves and to be ready. 
the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 19 to 23. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, here is the, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see I have told you all things beforehand. The warning of Jesus about what would come and the great trouble and he says that if he did not intervene on this time and physically return no one would survive and we know now that we have the technology and the weaponry and the uh, the biology to do that now and the tensions between the nations that exists right now <clears throat> It talks about false Christs and false prophets would rise. But the fact of the matter is, as we talked about a few weeks ago, false prophets have been in the church from the very beginning of the church. In Paul's time, he warned the elders at Ephesus that he said, after I leave, he says, there's going to be men that are going to rise among you and speak strange things to draw disciples after themselves from amongst, he says, from amongst you that are in this fellowship, he said in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. And later, uh, in the book of Revelation, the letter to the church at Ephesus, you see that the church of Ephesus, which had been thriving, was now struggling. Strange things had been happening. False prophets... Peter said, he said, in the Old Testament, he says, among the, or among the true prophets, he said, there will be false, and there will be false prophets among you. There will be false prophets among us. What do false prophets do? They teach false things. And that's why there is a whole litany of false teachings in Christendom. Even, even in evangelical Christendom, there are false teachings all about us in Christendom. I remember when I was a young Christian, I used to get a newsletter from, a, from a, a, a church leader by the name of David Wilkerson. Uh, in the 1960s, there was a book written about him, about his uh, evangelizing. Uh, his name is David Wilkerson. His name became famous because, and the book was written about, his conversion of a, of a violent uh, gangs in New York City. And he wasn't from New York City. He was a country preacher in, in western Pennsylvania. And he went, God moved him to go into New York City and preach to this gang and everything, and to these gangs and everything. And there was conversion of some of the gang members. And uh, the book and the movie was uh, written about him. But he continued on later on in life, 
and he sent out this newsletter that Kate had sent away for, and one of them, he talked about the signs of Christ coming and the end of the age, and what he talked about, the corruption in Christendom, and he said, the soft attitude toward divorce and remarriage. And I was young Christian, I said, what? And that's a sign of Jesus is coming? I was like, but then I started, God started motivating me in, in weeks and months following that and bringing people into my life that started pointing it out to me. I started looking at it. It's true. There's adultery in the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah, it's one of the things God points to. The, the adultery amongst the, the, the Jewish leaders, the priests, uh, the Levites, and it spread to the people. And there's adultery in the house of God. In the Old Testament, God brought judgment against them. And there's adultery in Christendom today. Divorce is acceptable now. In the year 1900, it was not acceptable. One in 30 marriages in this country ended in divorce. And amongst those who professed to be Christians, it was almost unheard of. In the year 1975, the same, the same um, study was done. One in two marriages in this country ended in divorce. And the same was true for Christendom. And those who professed to be Christians, one out of two marriages ended in divorce. And not only was there divorce, but the remarriage following. And not just amongst the congregations, but amongst the leaders. And it has grown since then. An acceptance of divorce and remarriage and, and twisting the scriptures up to make it okay. False prophets in the house of God. And accepting the teachings of these false prophets who tell people what they want to hear. A sign of his coming. And in the time of Jesus' return, before his return, he says they're going to show signs and wonders even. And it's going to become even more intense. But he says, take heed, or listen to this. I'm telling you this ahead of time. The next part is in verses 28 to 37. Of the same chapter. <clears throat> Now learn this parable from the fig. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you, know, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I, will say, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. 
Watch and pray. Watch therefore you do not know when the master of the house is coming. This is about the readiness and the preparation of the Christian. Noah moved with godly fear for the saving of his household when he heard judgment was coming. And it is the same message to us to prepare and to be ready like Noah was ready. When the floodwaters came, when the rains came down, he was ready. The the ark was finished. Him and his family were prepared. Be ready. Be doing his bidding. Not just hunker down in a defensive posture. You know, us four no more, as one preacher once said. Just, you know, just being in this defensive foxhole. That's not the calling of Christ. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Be the light of the world. I don't understand this, this movement in Christendom to go out somewhere and live out in the woods so that everybody will be safe. I have seen people do it and it doesn't work. Their children, they think their children will be less corrupt if they move them away from society. And there are plenty of examples that that doesn't work. This protectionist mindset in Christendom. We are the light of the world. So we must, we can't go away from the world to be the light of the world. We have to be in a place where our light can shine and people will see it. Let your light so shine before men. We are the light of the world. Be doing our master's calling. He went away, physically went away. He's not physically here right now. He's here in the spirit, but not physically here. He works through us. People say, well, I don't hear God speaking anymore like he did in those days. That's because he's speaking through his children. If his children are speaking at all. That's how he's speaking. Through us. Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples. Through us. The apostles are gone. That generation is gone. Generations have come and gone. It's through us. God wants to speak to us. Through us. To those who are backslidden, to those who are falling away, to those who are discouraged in the church, to those who are not saved. God is speaking. He's speaking through His children. And get ready and prepare. And to be doing His, 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 his will, each to His work. Is like, like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants. That's us. Each to his work. He appointed everybody to their work. Authorities in the world. Authorities in the church. The brothers and sisters in the church. Everyone is appointed to each individual work. Not to be bench warmers. Not to be sitting on our hands. But to be the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And doing his bidding when he comes. You knew the parable that Jesus gives about he gives each one, he gives the three of his servants one a whole bunch of money, some a little bit less money, and the other a little bit of money. And the first two put what they were given to work. 
And the third one, he says, Lord, he goes, this is what you gave me, I'm giving it back to you. And Jesus' response is, why didn't you use it? Why didn't you use it so it would bear fruit and grow? And judgment came upon that. He called him a lazy and wicked servant. He said, you lazy and, and wicked servant. Why didn't you use what I gave you? A lot of people think this has to do with money. It has a lot to do with a lot more than money and resources. It has to do with everything. Our time, our resources, you know, what we do with our lives, how we spend it. You know, all the gifts and abilities that God has given us. Are, they just, are we just letting them sit in the tool shed? Just sit latent inside of us instead of being using what God has given us. The understanding He's given us in His Word. The tools and the, and the spiritual gifts that He's given to us or wants to give to us and has designed for each of us. We may not be experiencing them at all. This is the wake-up call. The Son of God is coming. Get ready. And every man to his work. That he is appointed to each of us. Though I don't know he's appointed to us. Well, everything that we, every piece of understanding he's already opened up to us is part of it. To use it. Not only for ourselves, but to be a light to others. To walk in the Spirit. To walk in the love of Jesus. And not make any excuses. We all have our hardships. We all have our challenges. We all have our trials. All around us. In our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhood. We have all kinds of challenges. But that's not an excuse to not be the light of the world. Because that's what He's called us to. Who left His house and gave authority to His servants, each to His work. And commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore. We have a calling. Each of us has a calling. Embrace it. Walk in it. Fulfill it. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. All the resources are there to be what He's called us to be. So it's not like we can say, well, I can't. We can't. There's everything we need is available to us to do His bidding and His calling. This is not a message of sternness or harshness. This is the Word of God and it's a wake-up call. This is what Jesus is saying to each of us. He says, don't be asleep. Be at our work and watching and waiting. Lest coming suddenly He find you sleeping. And what I say to one, I say to all, watch. Luke 21. We've read these verses time and again in these meetings. Why do we keep on reading them? The Apostle Peter says the reason why he kept on reminding everybody, stir up by way of reminder, is to keep it fresh in their minds, he says, until his departure. He's going to keep on stirring this up by way of reminder until his departure. Lest you fall asleep. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36.
verses 34 to 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. Watch and pray. You know, Jesus said that to His disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. They listened to Him? No, they didn't. Their hearts were not yet converted. And they did not listen to Him and they fell asleep. And they were surprised by the crowd that came and they fell into temptation. And Peter denied Jesus. He, he cut off the servant's ear with, of the high priest's ear with a sword. And they all ran and fled from Jesus. They all scattered and abandoned Jesus in his time of trial. Peter denied he knew him three times. They fell into temptation. Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. He's saying it here to the generations following. And we see, like I said, the leaves on the fig tree are, are sprouting. This is a message to our generations. He's coming. Be ready. Watch and pray always, every day, always, that you may be found worthy counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming, judgment that's coming, and to stand before the Son of Man. Judgment is coming. Before Jesus physically returns, He will come for the church. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, at the end of that chapter, it talks about the dead in Christ rising first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds above the earth to meet the Lord in the air. Say, so, well, wait a minute. In the book of Zechariah, it says that Jesus will return to Jerusalem. In the book of Revelation 19, it says Jesus will return to Jerusalem. Touch, his foot will touch on the Mount of Olives. That's in Jerusalem. What's this above-the-air stuff? Caught in the clouds above-the-air stuff. It is Jesus coming first for the church. And then after that, you read about the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, is before Jesus' physical return with the saints to Jerusalem to set up His government, as it says both in Revelation and Isaiah. Before Jesus' physical return, There'll be great tribulation. In the book of Isaiah, it says that the earth will reel back and forth like a drunkard. The judgment of God after the removal of the saints. Watch, therefore, and pray that you may be counted always worthy to escape these things that are coming and to stand before the Son of Man. Be caught up in the clouds above the earth before the judgment of the earth. To stand before the Son of Man.
What are the things that will prevent people from being ready? Jesus says it right here. Carousing. Carousing can also, the King James Version says dissipation. The word dissipation means overindulgence. Now when we think of overindulgence, the first thing we think about is food. But overindulgence can be in many things. Hobbies. Entertainment. Personal ambitions. Business. Overindulgence. Being overbalanced in those things. The cares of this life when it comes to the business. And, you know, busyness in life. Projects that we can get involved in. There are so many things. The cares of this life can be in so many different things. The busyness of life. And Jesus said also about drunkenness, drugs, meds, all kinds of things. And not be ready. The cares of this life. <coughs> indulgence in the flesh. Overindulgence. Indulgence in the flesh and the things of this life. Immorality. Ungodliness of all kinds. Getting caught up and diverted in this world society and technology. Falling into the trap. The antidote to that? Watching and praying. Being spiritually prepared. Walking in the Spirit. To them, there is no trap. There is no pitfall. There is no snare. To, them, to those who walk with the Lord, they'll be ready. Just like Noah. He's walking in fear of God, the fear of the Lord. He moved with godly fear. The call to sobriety, the call to godly fear, preparing our households, preparing our hearts, being watchful and prayerful, and being about our Father's business. While every one of us is appointed our portion. And from here, I'm going to go to Second uh, Peter chapter three. As we're turning there, I remember in Second Thessalonians chapter two, it talks about the time before the man of sin is revealed. And he said it would be a time falling away in Christendom. Amongst those who profess to be Christians, there will be great corruption in the church. That's why Peter says that judgment must first begin at the house of God. And if it begins first with us, what will be the end of the ungodly and the sinner?
<clears throat> oh, oh, I'm just going to skip around this. I'll read this myself. Um, in verse 2, chapter 3, in verse 2 of Second Peter, that you be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of, the Lord and Sa- of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly, willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the wor- world that then existed perished, being flooded by water. God already once brought judgment to this world. People say all the time, why isn't God doing something? Oh, He will. So why isn't He doing it now? He already did. Do it once. He brought great judgment to the world, and very few, eight people survived the first judgment. And judgment is coming again. Why is he waiting? Why doesn't he stop all this madness? Why does he stop all this corruption and, and, and rape and murder and all these evil things that are happening all around us and among us? Why isn't he stopping it? He did once. And he will again. Well, what is he waiting for? The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, verse 9. As some think God is being slack, but is patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is the grace of God. He has given dominion, rule, of this earth to man. This planet has been given to man to have dominion over. The book of Genesis, God tells man, Take dominion over the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule over the earth. He's given it to them to rule. That's why we read the parable of Jesus. He says he, he went away and gave every man his duty. God has given duty to man to rule over the earth. And look what he's doing with it. Watch the news. Horrible things. Horrible things happening among us and getting worse all the time. The days of Noah. The days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah happening among us don't be part of it we can be separate from all of that we don't have to live in the fear of that <clears throat> a call to repentance through the ages that's why God has allowed the evil to continue because he's also allowing the message of grace and mercy and forgiveness to all this evil. And his patience, patience. But he will come. The next thing it says. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And judgment will come. He will return like a thief coming. And breaking into a house in the night. Jesus coming will be like that. The thief in the night. Verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening to the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, 
being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, brothers, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. What manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? A holiness, a sobriety, a readiness. This is not a legend. This is not something out, you know, a parable. Jesus will physically come back and he is coming for his church as a thief in the night. And he says to watch and pray and be ready for that return. People scoff at it. In the world and in the church, there's people scoffing in Christendom about the truth of this. Be ready. The reason why we talk about it often is because it is to refocus and to stir up our, our minds by way of reminder, as Peter says. To continually remind each other in the book of Hebrews it says that we should seek ways to stir one another up to love and good works. And the more so as we see the day approaching. To not forsake the gathering together of believers, but to stir one another up to love and good works. And more so as we see the day approaching. What day? The day of Jesus' return. We see it's approaching. And to be ready and to stir one another to be to remind one another up to be sober, to move with godly fear, to walk in holiness, to not play games with God, to seek God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our duty to one another. To stir one another up by way of reminder. What manner of persons ought we to be? In all of godliness, holiness, and godly living. A thief in the night. You will come as a thief in the night. And that's the name of this message.